0: Setting the record straight, here's Pastor Ed Taylor.
1: Have the right expectations. Because somewhere along the way, theology changed and some false teaching got out there. And the idea is this, especially if you got saved later in life and you really jacked your life up and you come to church and you're like, man, I'm on my last leg. And if God doesn't help me, then I'm not going to make it. And God does help you and you're born again. And the thought is now, I lived my life apart from God for so many years and paid a high price for it. Now that I follow God, everything's going to be great.
0: This is amazing grace.
1: You laid down life, that I would be set free. Oh Jesus, I for all that you've done
0: for me. As Christians, we have access to God and His divine resources, but we still face battles in life. Having the right expectations will help us immensely in our battle against discouragement. Glad you're with us today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. As we continue in Hebrews 10, we're given an invitation. We'll also turn to Nehemiah 4. That gives an illustration in Battling Discouragement. Here now with the invitation is Pastor Ed.
1: We've arrived at this section in chapter 10 where this wonderful invitation has been given to us to enter into the presence of God. No longer do we have a human mediator. No longer do we need a priest or a pastor or even some system. No, we, we, we have now this open invitation to anyone that hears my voice that they can come into the very presence of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the key. Notice with me in verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Check this out. Because of all that Jesus has done, here's the invitation, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What an invitation that is. You remember the access to God was very limited in the old covenant. That only one man once a year could come in with the offering into the holiest of holies and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. But now because of Jesus Christ's finished work, he himself is our high priest. His blood's been shed once and for all. And now any of us can come in. The veil of separation has been torn away. And notice how we get to come in. Number one, we get to come in with a true heart. We get to come in, secondly, with full assurance of faith. Thirdly, with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And then finally, our bodies washed with pure water. These were all necessities for the high priest to have before entering into the holiest of holies. But now we have all of these things by faith. We have a heart that's been purified. Remember, the promise in the new covenant was our heart of stone would be replaced with a heart of flesh. Not only that, we also have full assurance of faith. We can be assured, not on our performance, but on the performance of Jesus Christ, that he is utterly faithful and reliable. And it's not our failures that hold us back. It's not our failures that cause us to be distant from God. It's our failures that have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we also have these hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So you have a true heart today, a heart that has been touched by the Lord. But then when you look backwards, because there isn't anyone among us that don't have a few things in the past that we regret. And because of regret, we don't enter in. And because we don't enter in, we don't enjoy fellowship. You know, the beautiful thing about abiding in Christ is abiding in Christ starts with intimacy and closeness. And intimacy will bring purity in your life. And purity that will bring power in your life. And power in your life will bring confidence and draw you back to intimacy. That's the power of abiding. The necessity of abiding is that God does that work in us. Maybe you regret some things from the past, but your conscience has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So don't let your past hold you back. And then finally, there was those ceremonial washing that every Jew would do in the mikvah. Today, we know that not repetitively, but one time where we enter into the waters of baptism, and symbolically we receive the cleansing that God's given to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I have to say, one of the greatest things that hold us back from entering into this intimacy and going into this closeness is discouragement. Discouragement is very common, as we learned last time. It's a part of all of our lives. There isn't anyone among us who's been able to sidestep or skip discouragement In one form or another. Now, there are some differences. Some people go deeper in discouragement than others. Some situations are harder than others. Some personality types go deeper in darkness than others. But all of us get discouraged. And we learned as well that not only do we all get discouraged from time to time, but we also face situations where things don't always get better. Sometimes they get worse. We have our hopes penned sometimes. It's going to get better and it's going to get better. And that is a truth. Things do get better. But sometimes things don't get better right away. They get worse. I've adopted a new phrase in my counseling and my ministry to people. And that is I hear some of the situations. I will reflect back to them. You know, that sounds harder than hard. Because sometimes you just face things that are harder than hard. I was just speaking to someone this week earlier on. And the situation they were describing to me, I actually said, that sounds harder than harder than hard. They just needed to have that affirmed in their life that they were thinking clearly. Because when you go through deep, foggy times, you aren't thinking clearly anymore. And you think, well, it's just my fault. You know, other people got through this. So why is it so hard for me? I'll tell you why it's so hard for you. Because it's harder than hard. And the emotions and the things that you're facing in the trial right now are normal for a person going through what you're going through. Discouragement comes to us all. That's what's happening if you come back with me now to Nehemiah chapter four. Discouragement is a tool that the enemy is using against the people of God. The people of God have come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the protective walls. It's just a few people compared to those that were in Babylon, but a very significant people. They've decided to leave everything that they own and everything that they know and return to a life of difficulty. But they have high hopes they're going to restore worship to the city of Jerusalem. They're going to rebuild the walls and start a new city of worship. But immediately they're met with opposition. And we used the names of the people that came against the children of God in our study previously to show us different sources of discouragement. Just where discouragement can come from. Because as soon as you take a step to obey God, as soon as you take a step to rely upon God. As soon as you take a step into the holiest of holies, as soon as you take a step to abide and to find intimacy, you can expect opposition. The enemy will come against you. We have a real enemy. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And while they were building a wall and building a city, God was rebuilding their lives and working on the inside. Which leaves us with the question, and that is, okay, Ed, I'm convinced. I get it. You have made your case about discouragement, and I agree with you. I've been discouraged myself. As a matter of fact, if you gave me the chance, if I described my situation, you would know what discouragement really is. And you're convinced, and for that I'm grateful. And that leaves us the question, okay, Ed, then what do I do with discouragement? How do I respond? And in the chapter before us, I want to give to you eight things that you can do when discouragement comes. Either to face it head on or to see it minimized in your life. So if you're taking notes, I wanna give you eight things that Nehemiah and the people responded to the attacks of the enemy because the attacks of the enemy are real. And I want you to leave here today. I want you to turn off the radio at the end of the broadcast and I want you to know eight new tools in your toolbox of facing discouragement and despair. You know, David already showed us in 1 Samuel chapter 30 that one of the things he chose to do was encourage himself in the Lord, to strengthen himself in the Lord. And so God is going to play a big part of dispelling the darkness in your life and the discouragement. Maybe you feel like the psalmist at times in Psalm 42 verse 5. As soon as I read it, it'll be familiar to you. Psalm 42 verse 5. Why are you cast down my soul? And why are you so disquieted within me? And there are those times in our lives where we just like, man, what is wrong with me? Why am I so down? Sometimes you can pinpoint it. It's, it's grief or it's a loss or it's fear, anxiety. But other times you're like, what is going on in my life? I should be farther along than I am. Why are you so bummed out? And you just begin to talk to yourself. And then the response, though, of the psalmist, you can't end there. You've got to respond like the psalmist did. He says, why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God. And I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. I don't need to say this to you, but it's worth reminding. When we're in a place of discouragement, we're at a place of choice. And we really only have two choices. The first one is to choose to stay in our discouraged state and actually make it worse. To isolate out of fellowship, to stay away from people, to stay away from God's word. It's just easy to stay in discouragement. It's easier to stay in discouragement than it is sometimes to do the harder things. And some of the things I'm going to share today are, are a little difficult, but not so much. But they feel like so weighty when you're in the midst of discouragement. To lose all passion and excitement and enthusiasm. You have no desire to be enthusiastic ever again. Maybe even you think today that you'll never be enthusiastic or happy again. And that's just simply not true. You're just in a downtime and it's foggy and it hurts but better times are coming. It's easy to stay in discouragement, in despair, maybe even leading to depression. And as you sit there, it just increases and grows and festers, and then it buries us. I mentioned for the last couple weeks that we had books coming in on this topic. They're downstairs now, and you can pick them up in the bookstore, where we selected a few very choice resources on this topic of discouragement and depression because it's God's will to equip you to press on through the situation and find the encouragement of the Lord. Because the alternative choice is not just to sit there in discouragement, but the alternative is you can place your hope in God. You can cry out to God. Instead of that response in your flesh, well, you know, what good is that going to do? Why don't you do it and tell me? Watch God meet you. Don't talk yourself out of it, but obey God's word. Sometimes I found in my own life that obedience, obedience is necessary in my life. I know that for sure across the board, but it seems more necessary when I don't want to obey. (laughs) Like I really need it there. And I don't just mean like in radical, crazy sin. I mean in pulling away from people, pulling away from those that love me, pulling away from the church fellowship, pulling away from God himself. I need to hope in God, trust him with my life. That no matter what comes my way, he is unmoved and unfazed, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, still sitting on the throne, still the Lord of my life, and he is still good and faithful even when I'm faithless. And we hope in God. We trust him. We hold fast to him. So let me share this with you. When you cry out to God, the circumstances may not change. That's disappointing. (laughs) It's like, wait, wait a minute. I thought I'm crying out to God and I'm praying. I'm praying for my circumstances to change. Actually, you're not. You're praying for the will of God to be done in your life. You're praying for a revelation of his perfect will. And so when you hope in God, this is what you're doing. It's not that my present circumstances are good, but that God is good despite what I'm going through. It's not that my circumstances are good. No, it's that God is good and he's been faithful to me. So let's jump into this text. And let's look at eight things that will really help us in discouragement. Number one, it's the first eight verses that we looked at last time. Number one, when discouragement comes, well, generally expect opposition. Have the right expectations. Because somewhere along the way, theology changed and some false teaching got out there. And the idea is this, especially if you got saved later in life and you really jacked your life up and you come to church and you're like, man, I'm on my last leg. And if, if God doesn't help me, then I'm not going to make it. And God does help you and you're born again. And the thought is now, I live my life apart from God for so many years and paid a high price for it. Now that I follow God, everything's going to be great. We're going to have my best life now. And I'm going to have everything perfect. And I'm going to have all the money that I want, all the health that I want, everything I want. And we're just going to skip through the roses and through the garden. And we're going to smell the flowers. And we're going to jump, you know, from mountain to mountain. And whatever it is that I couldn't even think of something that would be nice for you. But you know what it is. Have ice cream every day or, you know, whatever it is. And the idea is that, man, now that I'm a believer, I'll never face adversity ever again. That's false. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus taught us. Jesus said, in this world, are you guys all in this world? Yes or no? In this world. Okay, this is for us. You will face tribulations. In the plural, not just one, but little t, tribulations. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. The world will be hard, but hope will get you through. Because hope is in a person. It's not an emotion. It's a man, I trust you, Jesus. You got through, I get through. You're inside of me, you'll help me through the tribulations. Let me show you an example of this in Mark's gospel. Would you turn over with me, please, to Mark chapter four? Mark chapter four. This is a general expectation. A lot of the pain that we experience and discouragement is we have mixed matched expectations where we expect one thing from God and something else is delivered, so we get mad at God. And it's discouraging. But in that little episode, what we're doing is we're creating God in our own image. (laughs) And we don't want God in our own image, limited by our own thinking and our own resources. We want the high and mighty God, the one that's sovereign over all, who knows what he's doing. I just texted this to my daughter as I was praying for her. This verse has just been exploding in my life where Jesus is ready to feed the, the thousands. And he asks, hey, go get some bread. And then it says, He asked this to test him because he already knew what he was going to do. And you know, God already knows what he's going to do in your life. He already knows. We're all flipped out about it. We're all freaked out. We don't know, but it's really what? Just a test to reveal to us where we are in our relationship with God because God already knows what he's going to do. Last time we asked for you to Jot down your prayer requests so we could pray over them Wednesday morning with our teacher staff and our church staff together in our Devo time, super early in the morning. And that's what we did. We took all of the prayer requests that were put up on the stage and we put them together from all the services and then we laid them out and divided them between everyone. We prayed for them until we were done and lifted up every one of them. And, you know, I, I didn't read every single one of them, I only read what was in my stack. And what was in my stack were some pretty heavy things. Really heavy, really difficult, really challenging. And God wants to remind you today that he already knows what he's gonna do with what you wrote down. He already knows. He's working it out in your life, as painful as it is. And we just need to expect opposition. Opposition while we're abiding, Opposition while we're obeying. Opposition while we're making progress. Opposition while we're praying, raising our kids in the ways of the Lord. Opposition comes, and it happens here in Mark chapter 4. If you would turn your attention there to verse 35, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, a very familiar episode in the life of the followers of Jesus, those that we call disciples or apostles. Notice with me, chapter 4, verse 35, it says... On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let's cross over to the other side, which is pretty common. You go to Israel with us, you'll see the Sea of Galilee is not very large. You pop in a boat, cross over to the other side, takes 30, 45 minutes, and that would be very normal. You come out on the Sea of Galilee with us on a boat as we pray out in the middle. Usually the water is very glassy. It's got great acoustics. It's a beautiful thing. It's surrounded by, by some hills on the side, you know, mountains on the side, the, the way they're formed, the wind just comes right through like a wind tunnel and can whip up a storm like that, like an ocean type storm, and notice, they're just doing normal, their normal life. Let's go to the other side. So they left, verse 36. And they took Jesus along in the boat, and there were other little boats with them also. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. There's some experienced fishermen here, like some really hardcore, this is their profession, what they do for a living. And as, as they're on the Sea of Galilee, this massive storm comes and beats them. And that sometimes you can describe the trials you go through, just beating, beating, coming into the boat. You feel like you're going to sink. This was such a serious time. Look what happened. It says, well, first in verse 38, while this is all going, where's Jesus? It says, he's in the stern. What does your Bible say? Asleep. Now, let me ask you a question, theological question here. Why was Jesus asleep? He was tired. That's right. Not every question is answered with some high-minded theology. Jesus was asleep because he was tired. Fully man and fully God. He was asleep because he was tired. Look what happens, the storms, just like the disorienting of your discouragement, it causes them to turn against God. Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Wow, if we sneaked into your prayer closet, I wonder how many times we'd hear that, where that's just where you're at. Do you not care about me anymore? Why are you gonna let us die? Don't you know? Like, Didn't you know when couldn't we gone at your God? You, know, you could have gone at another time, and on and on that list is. And then he says in verse 39, Jesus arose and he rebuked the wind, not the disciples. And he's told the sea to be still, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he speaks to them and he says, why are you guys so fearful and where's your faith? Which is really what happens when you're discouraged. You become fearful and faithless. Because somehow the expectation. When you go out on the Sea of Galilee, you got to expect that storms can come. So far in all the trips that we have taken tours to Israel, one time the day before, there was a large storm on the sea. We, and we were on the boat and there was those big things they tied the ropes on. It was like super thick, was snapped off because the storm was so strong. So we missed it by one day. Praise God for that. I don't think they took anybody out on that. But when you go on the sea, you got to expect storms. Listen, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to expect opposition. Even in your mind, you think you're doing everything right. Let me give you a quiz. I want you, this is interactive, so you have to answer my questions, and you only have two choices. You can either answer yes or no, but there are no other answers. So don't make one up. There's no all of the above. It's either yes or no. So listen. Let's look at this episode. Number one, are the disciples in the boat on the sea in the will of God? Yes, A++. Number two, are the disciples faithfully serving Jesus in the boat on the sea? Number three, are the disciples in the very physical presence of Jesus Christ? And storms still came. And it's true for them. It's true for you. Just like the, back in Nehemiah, just like they are going, doing a great thing. They've sacrificed everything. It would be easy for them. We've given everything up for you. And it's like, what are you doing, God? This is normal. Trust me. This is normal. Number two. Let's come back to Nehemiah. Number two. A second way to defeat discouragement is found in verse 9. And that is prayer.
0: We'll pause here, but not to worry. We'll get that second way to battle the enemy, Pastor Ed Taylor mentioned, next week. This is Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed, should our Lord Terry, we'll be airing part two of this teaching next time. But in the meantime, can you give us a brief word on prayer and the difference it makes in the battle against discouragement?
1: Well, I have to say prayer is everything because prayer repositions your posture. Yes, prayer repositions your posture. It reconnects us with God. It reminds us of his faithfulness. It brings us great comfort. It reminds us that His God's word is settled in heaven, that we're drawing near to God. And the Bible says when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And in the midst of discouragement, the best place to go is to the Lord. The best place to go is to the Lord. I want to encourage you to do just that. Take your cares and your concerns to Him. Casting
0: all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Thanks, Pastor Ed. Are you interested in hearing this again? If so, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora app. You can search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor, or listen to us through Apple Podcasts. Now, this month, we're featuring an excellent book by our friend in the ministry, Gail Irwin. It's called The Jesus Style. When Jesus taught us that the greatest must become like a servant, what was he driving at? Well, we find the answer by studying the life of Jesus and His style of ministry. It is totally opposed to our natural leanings, so we need some help. Request a copy of The Jesus Style today when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also now order resources like this through our new e-store at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. We continue to meet in person here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Make plans to join us Saturdays at 6 p.m., Sundays at 845 and 1045 in the morning. Study the Word in the middle of the week, too, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. You can also live stream us at calvaryco.church. Glad you've taken time out for our study in Hebrews. Join Pastor Ed Taylor each day as we continue to learn how to live by God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace.